Open up your Bibles to James chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to read from verse 1 through 13, and we're going to unpack that a little bit. But before we do that, I, I need to tell you about something that happened to me about two weeks ago, which it ended up, uh, I don't know if it happened just because of this message that I was going to talk about it, but it ended up happening. But once a year, I don't know if most of you know, but I, 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 I'm a full-time pastor now, but I shifted from a business that I own, a small business that I own that still exists today. But once a year, we have to do a board meeting. And it's usually right around August, and in fact, we have to do it by law to, to you know, keep the Articles of Incorporation going. And about two weeks ago, my wife and I decided we we're going to take a couple of days off in San Diego, and it hit me. It's like, well, I'm going to be here. This is probably a good time to have that board meeting. It was kind of a last-minute thing, so we called everybody that needs to participate, and we said, can you make this meeting? And they all could. So we scheduled it, but we didn't have a place to meet. So I said, no, no problem. I'll just start calling a few places around the area. I'll start you know, making some calls. So I started calling a, a, a few restaurants, a few nice restaurants. I found one online that overlooks the water and it looked beautiful. And so I called them to see if they could accommodate. This girl answers the phone and she was really nice. She, she says, oh yeah, you know, how can I help you? I explained our situation. I said, there's 10 of us. We need to have a, as quiet of a place as possible so that we can meet. And uh, you know, do you have anything like that at your restaurant? And she says, oh yeah, we have a couple of spots. One, we have a semi-private room and it's a slow night. It was a Wednesday night and it's a slow night and chances are we won't sit anybody by you. So you'll probably have it all to yourselves. And then we have this table that overlooks the, the ocean. It's right by the window. You guys can enjoy the view. And I'm like, I got really excited. I mean, I hadn't really planned on this, but wow, wouldn't it be great if we could just have this meeting slash dinner in there and enjoy the view. So I decided because there were two great options that I needed to stop by and look at it and see which, which area would be best for us. So I was gonna be around the area jogging slash walking, you know, it was my days off. So I was told her, you know, I'll, I'll get there about two o'clock. And then she says, you know, I won't be here at two. It'll be the new hostess, but come on in and we'll show you those options. So I did, so around two o'clock, I show up and, and of course, like she said, there was a different girl in the front. And I said, yeah, I told her, I'm so-and-so and I'm here. I spoke to this girl. And she said that we could use a semi-private room for our event. And she says, and this is the way she says, says, oh, we won't be using that today. I'm like, oh, okay. No, no big deal. And I said, okay. She also said that we could sit by the window. And she said, I'm sorry, sir. Uh, our plates are over 500 degrees. And uh, it would be dangerous to sit that big of a party and pass those plates down. And I'm like, oh, okay. Uh, so it was completely like bait and switch, right? A completely different story that, that I was used to what they told me on, on the phone. And at this point, I was a little confused. You know, one girl tells me one thing, the other girl tells me that, that that's not so. So I decided to ask, like most of you would probably ask, like, why did the first girl tell me that these were available and you're saying that it's not available? And then she said again, oh, we won't be using that today, that room today, that's in my private room, which I, I think it's okay, it's no big deal to me. I just was wondering. And then she said something that kind of clued me into what was going on. And this is what she said, and I still remember because it was, it was, and I quote, this is what she says, besides, that room has a minimum of $1,500. And I'm like, oh, it hit me, I get it. it, it up until that point, I was clueless, I didn't know what was going on. It's not that that room was not available, it's that this girl did not think that I could pay for it or be willing to pay for it. She assumed that I would, and she never asked me, do you wanna pay $1,500 to get this room? And then it hit me like a ton of bricks, and, and, and I, this, this isn't the first time stuff like that happens, and it probably won't be the last time it happens. So I politely and I kindly just said, you know, 
thank you, uh, we won't be dining here tonight, just please cancel my reservation. To which he responded smugly and with their shoulders raised like, okay, it's almost like I knew it. So you have to know some about me. And it, <laughs> not that. Anyway, <laughs> I have never, and I will pray that I never play the race card ever in my life. See, I have this belief that once you accept people's hate and once you, you, you transfer their biases and their prejudice over to you, and I just refuse to accept that. Instead, what I choose to do is I used to leave it right where it belongs with the person who hates. I just won't let it transfer to me. I just, I, that's been my philosophy forever, and I just won't let it do that. But when I left, what do you guys think I did? I, I organized a 10,000 Mexican march. That's what I did when I left that place <laughs> with picket signs and everything. You know, I'm totally, I'm totally kidding. <laughs> but this is a real situation, folks. I mean, I thought about calling the manager and telling them all these things, and there's a time and a place for that. You could do that, but remember, I, I didn't want to allow that to transfer, and the, the real truth, if I'm being honest, is that I needed to find a new place, and I was busy. And I was done with that situation. So, guess what? Not even a Yelp review. I know that's hard for you guys to imagine, but I didn't even do that. And the truth is that I haven't even thought about this again since I left that place until I started to prepare for this message, and then it all came back. Then I started to think about, you know, what was going on through this hostess' mind? I mean, was she a racist? Was she just biased? I mean, what was it? I mean, I, I, this is a nice place. I assume she doesn't do that to everyone. It's in San Diego. There's got to be other Hispanics there. I'm not the only one. But as I started, I studied the scripture more and more, and then I studied what James has to say about this subject, and I realized that, and you guys really have to think about it, and you have to forgive me, but I, I think that we're all a little biased. And that's the real truth. And if you think about it, are, are we any different than this girl? Maybe we're not as bold, or maybe we're not as blatant, but if, don't we all do that to some degree? And what I mean by that is I mean discriminate or show favoritism. And the, the reality is, is that we do. I do it too. We discriminate based on appearance. We discriminate based on ancestry, achievement, status, affluence. There's so many things that we put into our minds and we just start to use them to be biased against other people. You know, that day, I remember I was wearing just regular shorts and a t-shirt. I told you I was sort of running slash jogging slash more walking. And... So I, I hadn't shaved for like several days, so I probably looked, honestly, a little bit like a terrorist. So. <laughs> but that was no excuse for the way this girl treated me. But don't we often discriminate because of appearance? Because, you see, beauty is everything in this world. If you're a cute kid, and you guys who are cute know this, you have it made. And if you're not a cute kid, well, I don't know, I, I can't relate, I couldn't tell you. I, <laughs> But the truth is, it's like tough luck, right? If you're not. We, we judge people on how they look, how they dress. In fact, there, there's been studies about this, and you guys can look them up. There's been studies about that that determine that dress definitely influences how you relate to people. And I'm telling you, if we think about it, we're all a little biased. And here's the truth is that even Christians get caught up in this dress for success, dress to be cool kind of mentality. I mean, we're, we're so concerned with what's in and what's out, what's hot and what's not, what kind of handbag people have, what kind of brands they wear, what kind of car they drive. 
Folks, uh, the other thing you have to know about me is that I make my fashion choices based on three simple questions. Number one, does Costco carry it? <laughs> Number two, does it itch? And does it fit? I mean, does it cover all of this? Then if, if it matches those things, then, then I'm in. But the truth is that, that we, we discriminate based on that, on, on appearance, and we, we discriminate based on ancestry, on race. We judge people according to their race, their nationality, their ethnic background. You know, I heard about a black man who went to a church in the South, and he was trying to fit in, and, he would, and, and they wouldn't let him in. It was, it was full of bigots, so they wouldn't let him in. So he went to the pastor, thinking the pastor, you know, he would understand that and will do something about it, and said, Pastor, here's the problem. And here's what the pastor said. He said, why don't you go ahead and pray about it? He says, okay, I will. So three weeks later, the pastor goes to the man and says, did you pray about it? The man says, yes. And what did God tell you? He says, well, God told me not to worry about it because he's been trying to get into your church for 20 years and you guys won't let him in either. <laughs> the fact is we discriminate on ancestry and we discriminate on age. Oh, you're too young. You don't have the experience. You can't handle this. Oh no, you're too old. You're going to cost us a fortune in health insurance. So we can't have you this. We discriminate on age all the time. We discriminate based on achievement. Well, you know, our society just gushes over winners and forgets losers, right? Success and status, they're, they're, they're key words in our, in our society. And, and, and I'm going to be honest with you this morning. I'm really bothered by the increasing celebrity consciousness, even in Christianity. Christians in that area are no different than anybody else. I mean, we gush over celebrities, and if we ever meet one, we want to, you know, we want to take a selfie with that person, and then we post about it, like if we're best friends or something. But everybody knows you're not best friends. Everybody knows that they're celebrities, and you're not. It's okay. You know, but the most common distinction, the most common area that we show discrimination is, is affluence. And this is so common because this is where we do it very, very subtle. Like, it's, it's okay to do it in this way. You know, we judge people over their wealth, whether they're rich or they're poor, their economic status or their title. The way we, I mean, why else would we treat our bosses and people who own companies or own big things? Why, why else would we treat them differently? So I want to ask you this morning as we begin, well, we, we already, we're already in the message, but as we begin this message, I want to ask you, what is your attitude towards people who make more money than you? I just want you to think about that for a second. Do you treat them differently than you would treat somebody else? And then I want you to think about what is your attitude towards people who make less money than you? Is it the same as the people who make more? And can you guys believe the reason we're talking about this this morning, because when we talk about James, the book of James, this is exactly what the early church, the, they call it the New Testament church, was going through. This is exactly what James saw that they were struggling with, so he addresses his head on as boldly as he can. And this is James, and he doesn't mince words like I told you, and he tells us what the problem is on how, to, how we treat people. And then he gives us a solution. So in chapter 2, starting in verse 1, if you have your Bibles, turn on your Bibles to chapter 2, verse 1. We're going to unpack it through 13. This is what James says. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, and here it is, as bold as it can be, must not show favoritism. Believers must not show favoritism. Now, whenever James, you have to know this about James, whenever James starts 
a sentence with brothers and sisters, you have to know that he's getting ready to nail us, okay? He's going to get, he's going to be nice, hey, brother, and then boom, he's about to hit you. You can count on it. And what he's talking about here, he's talking about prejudice. I know the Bible is trying to be politically correct at this point sometimes too, so it shows the word favoritism, which is why we have to study the word and dive into the Greek meaning so we can understand what it says. And what he means here is prejudice, partiality, or favoritism. The New English Bible, I really like what it says because it calls it snobbery. In other words, he says, don't be a snob. And you guys know what a snob is, right? Somebody that puts their nose up while looking down at people. Somebody who thinks they're better than everybody else. And the Greek word that it uses here is a compound word that means to receive and to face. So it literally means to receive somebody's face. Interesting? To receive somebody at face value. That's the true meaning of it. And it's on the basis of how they look. In other words, it's talking about superficial judgment. And James says, don't do that. Don't accept people just on superficial judgments. The good news translation says, never treat anybody in a different way according to their outward appearance. Folks, and it talks about this because back then, just like it is today, it is a common social disease. And this is the area that Jim picks out of all the areas we can discriminate. And he talks about economic distinction. And as we go on to verse 2 through to 4, it says, Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, Here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, You stand there and sit on the floor by my feet. Have you not discriminated amongst yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Some pretty strong words from James again. So he paints a picture there. There's two strangers. They arrive at the church at the same time, and we know they're strangers because they don't know where to sit. So the first guy walks in dripping in wealth, and everybody knows he also doesn't fit into the church because in the New Testament church, everybody was poor. Everybody, uh, in fact, most of them were slaves. And it says that he had gold rings. Literally in the Greek, it means that he was gold-fingered. So in New Testament times, you can actually rent rings to prove how wealthy you were. And or you can just get jewels and they would cut them out and sew them into your garments. You know, really, really flashy. And, and now this part of the Bible is really important that I want you guys to catch this morning because it's really important. And notice that James says, or James doesn't criticize the guy for being wealthy. He criticizes the members for being partial to him. He doesn't say there's anything wrong with wealth. It says that he had fine clothes, and in the Greek, it literally meant that those Roman togas that you would wear when you were running for re-election. So this guy they're talking about is Rich Goldfinger, basically. Then comes a guy who is poverty-stricken. He's more likely uh, destitute. He's a bum. You know, shabby clothes. He has holes in his Levi's and no shoes, and he probably has bad B.O. I don't know. Uh, His hair's all messed up. It's kind of like me trying to get a table at a steak place that day, you know? (laughs) My point is that he looked bad. And the usher, and I know we have a lot of ushers and greeters here this morning. The usher, I mean, what would you do? He has to make a decision. Where am I going to sit this guy? Well, it says in the Bible that the usher takes the rich guy to the front row and seats him. And he's probably thinking, man, take this guy there. We want everybody to know he's here. He's affluent. Think of like if a celebrity came and no, we, everyone know, want, we want them to know that they're here. And then he tells the poor guy, hey, you can 
stand over there. Or you can sit on the floor. And in the Greek, when you study that, it literally means my footstool. Under my footstool, which is the ultimate put down in the New Testament church. So he discriminates so badly and just treats them carelessly. And James again tells us that there's a problem with that. That that's not okay. The first thing that he tells us is that, that favoritism is unchristian. Well, what a surprise, right? We know that already. And it says, if you want to be like Jesus, he tells us that you can't play favorites. That's why he says in the first verse, my brothers, as believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ, don't show favoritism. He's saying that faith and favoritism are incompatible. This word favoritism is only used four times in the Bible. And every other time it's referring to God. And it says God does not play favorites. In, in fact, Paul in Roman teaches that when he tells us that God does not show favoritisms. Because Jesus, as you know his story, he treated everyone with dignity. God loves everybody. And if there's one place in the world, especially today, especially in our day and age, in our society, when we see all this hate going on and demonstrations, and you know what I'm talking about, but if there's one place in the world where there shouldn't be any kind of discrimination, it ought to be here, the church, God's house. And I'm not just talking about our church, church with a capital C, the church. Folks, there's discrimination everywhere in the world, but there ought to be one place that no matter who you are or what you look like or what your background is, that you're going to be welcome in, and that is here. First Samuel tells us that people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Shouldn't we be a little bit more like what Jesus wants us to be? So James says that favoritism is unchristian, and then he tells, him that it, he tells us that it's unreasonable. And in verse 5, as we continue to read his word this morning, verse 5 through 6, it says that it's illogical, that it doesn't make sense. In fact, look what it says. It says, listen, my dear brothers and sisters. Remember, again, he's about to let us have it. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Some pretty strong words that require a little explanation this morning. In the first place, he says, has God not chosen the poor to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom? He's not saying that it's good to be poor and bad to be rich. He's not saying that only the poor will be saved. Everybody in this room, if you think about it, is, is rich compared to the rest of the world, which means that if we view the Bible that way, that means none of us would be saved, right? It doesn't make any difference to God. And we should be glad that God doesn't really look at our checkbooks or our value or our net worth to be saved. He doesn't look at our savings account. That means he just says everyone can be saved. Wealth in itself does not deserve special treatment. Your value is not based on your valuables. Don't confuse your, your worth with self-worth. Because there's a big difference. In other words, my net worth and my self-worth have nothing to do with each other. I don't get my strokes, and I hope you don't get your strokes by trying to impress people by wearing certain clothes or driving certain cars. And it doesn't matter what you get your clothes or what you drive. You're welcome here. You're welcome in God's house. James tells us that it's logical. He says, don't confuse where you get your self-worth from because God chooses the poor. He doesn't expect them to be wealthy in order to be saved. And on top of this, he says, the rich could care less about you, which that requires some explanation too. 
He says, why worry about catering to them? Is it not the rich exploiting you? And this is why James said that. Because in the New Testament times, the Roman nobility were, were, were the ones that were feeding the Christians to the lions. It was the upper crust that, that were persecuting Christians and judging them and insulting them. And it wasn't that, that James here is throwing stones at wealthy people. It's just that in this time, it was the rich people who were doing all these bad things to the Christians. So he's telling them, well, why are you worried about impressing them? They're certainly not worried about impressing you. In fact, they're doing the opposite. Which got me to think is, why is it that we like to kiss up to, to people of affluence or, or to celebrities? Why, why are we so enamored with that? And, and I, I don't really have the answer. Maybe you guys could help me with that. But I do think there's something in there that we think that they're going to do something for us. That they're going to open doors or they're going to give us opportunities. Or like I said, or that, that we're going to become best friends for some reason. Or besties. I mean, seriously, why else would we be so enamored with that? Folks, God has a way of opening and closing doors regardless of, of your network or your contacts. James says, don't show favoritism. It's unchristian. It's unreasonable. It's illogical. And then he tells us that, that it's unloving. And as we move on in this chapter in verse 8, James tells us exactly why we shouldn't show favoritism. He gives us the reason. And he says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. And you guys know why it's called the royal law? Because if we obeyed this one law, we wouldn't need any of the other laws. We wouldn't need any or all the rest. And Paul again in Galatians tells us that all the law is summed up in one sentence. Love your neighbor as yourself. And you've heard this. And if I play favorites and if you play favorites, then you're being unloving. And the Bible tells us that how we relate to people shows how much we really love God. And in 1 John, this is a really important scripture this morning that we kind of have to plant into our hearts and let it transform our mind. It says, whoever claims to love God yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. Wow, that's strong. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God who they have not seen. So how I relate to you proves how much I love God. So favoritism, you see, is unloving. In fact, few people really know how to love unconditional. It's just hard for us. We don't know how to love unconditionally. In fact, it's a lot easier for us to show favoritism. And in verse 9, carrying on, it says, but if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. Again, James is Letting us have it right here. But for whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. So think, how many laws do you have to break to be a lawbreaker? One. How many crimes do you have to commit to be a criminal? One. How many chain links do you have to break in a chain to break the chain? Just one. I mean, have you ever been in a china shop and, and there's a sign that says that if you break it, you buy it? It doesn't matter if it breaks in one piece or a thousand pieces. You break it, you buy it. And James is saying that the people think that favoritism is such a small thing. In fact, we, since we all do it and we do it subtly, we don't think it's a big deal. But it's telling us otherwise here. He says, if you break God's rule, you break God's rule, period. You're a lawbreaker. So it's a serious offense. It, it's a sin along with all the other sins. It's serious business, really, what he's telling us. 
Verse 11, for he who said you shall not commit adultery also said you shall not commit murder. And if you not commit adultery, but you commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. So he's following up on that same thought process saying the law is the law. If you break it, of course, he gives us some pretty significant uh, sins that he's talking about here to demonstrate that the first one is just as bad. He's illustrating this point by, about being unloving by saying, that, you know, if someone comes to your house and says that they love you and says, you know, I love you so much that I'm not going to commit adultery with your wife, but if you tick me off, I reserve the right to murder you, you know, that's not very loving, is it? You're not going to appreciate their love. It's, in fact, it's absurd. It's ridiculous. And this is what James is trying to get us to understand. Verse 12, speak and act as to those who are going to be judged by the law that gives freedom, because judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. And then I love this, mercy triumphs over judgment. It says that love treats people with mercy. Love gives people what they need, not what they deserve. And I should get an amen or something there, because we all can deserve that, deserve other things, yet get love from God. And I think James here is probably thinking about his half-brother Jesus when he said in the Sermon of the Mount, blessed are those who are merciful, for they will receive mercy. So James shows us that favoritism, which is a nice word for discrimination or prejudice or bias, is unchristian, that it's unreasonable, that it's illogical, that it's unloving. And then he says, don't be a snob. That's basically what it says. You know, there was an article and the paper that really caught my attention, because it had this really long heading, so I had to read it, and it says, A loving connection in church growth. Most people are drawn to caring facilities, scholarly study says. And that was the heading, so I went on, and here I'm going to paraphrase it for you. Well, in a survey of 8,600 people from congregations in 39 different denominations, they surveyed them, and they measured what they call their love quotient. And the Institute reports that growing churches, churches that have larger numbers, are growing because they're more loving to each other and they're more loving to visitors. It's ingrained in them. And they're growing more than declining churches. In fact, they said that churches that love attract more people regardless of their theology, their denomination, their location, and a lot of other factors. In fact, most churches that are growing today basically are because they've learned how to love each other. Because a church that loves people is a church that grows. Now, typically, in analyzing the reasons for growth in a church, in the past, it's really been because they, they focus on such factors like pastoral leadership, is a, is a guy a dynamic speaker? And I know that plays a part into it. Is, you know, is the facility attractive? Uh, uh, their theology, is it conservative? Is, there, is it liberal? And all these other factors. But more and more, there's increasing evidence that none of these influence a church's growth. In fact, significantly, it's showing that it's how much you love each other and how much you love others that really affects that. Folks, what I'm telling you here, it, it, it's love that is going to reach people. You don't argue people into heaven. You, don't, you love them into heaven. And this is so important for us, again, in, the, in our society today because we, we engage in arguments with, with the alt-right and, and haters and demonstrators and all these things, and our political views are so polar opposites that we, we think that we, as we engage in arguments that that's going to help. And this tells them that it is love that is going to reach people. And it is that love. You can't dictate love on somebody else's. You can't make a bigot into a hater overnight. Only Jesus can do that. 
So what do people need? They need the love of Jesus. And who are the only ones that are going to get it from? But you. So you see how important this message is. And then the Bible goes on to give us a solution to this problem that James is talking about. It teaches us how to love and treat people, which is why we call this message, message how to treat people. It tells us first to accept everybody. And do you know why people have a hard time accepting others? Well, because they confuse acceptance with approval. And there's a big difference between acceptance and approval. You can accept somebody without approving of their lifestyle. I mean, he may be doing something totally contrary to God's word, but you can accept them or the person without approving of the sin they're involved in. In fact, Paul tells us again in Romans, accept one another just as Christ accepted you. Folks, that's a start. Acceptance. And that's what we want to cultivate here at this church, an attitude of acceptance. And, you know, the, the church should be, and it is here, the church should be a hospital for sinners. It should be a hotel for, for saints uh, that, that come and just want to worship God. It's not a place where you come and you want to check out everybody the way everybody's dressed or the dress parade. You know, if, if you're perfect, I'm going to tell you as lovingly as possible that if you're perfect, you probably don't belong here. Because this is a church where no perfect people are allowed. It is a church where people are growing in their faith. This is a church where people don't have it all together, starting with me. I mean, we have all kinds of backgrounds represented here today and in this church. It doesn't matter where you've been. What matters is, is where you are now and if you love and know Jesus. If you want to be, grow up and be more and more like him, then you're welcome here. In the essentials, you know, the fundamentals that, that it is through Christ that we are saved and that the Bible is the, the word of God. In the essentials, uh, we, we can have unity. But in the non-essentials and things that we want to argue about, then we have to say that we have liberty, but in all things, we're going to have charity. And acceptance to all of that is key. And folks, the truth is that if we don't understand that concept before we leave this earth, then some of us are not going to like heaven because it's not going to be exclusive enough for you. Think about that. And if we can't learn to get along together here on earth, what makes us think that we're going to get along together in heaven? So it starts with acceptance. And again, it starts with you and with me. Second thing that we need to learn is how to appreciate everybody, which is a little harder. It goes a little further than acceptance. And Paul tells us this very strong scripture that is very impactful. He says, do nothing from selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, how hard is that? And then the next part, consider others better than yourself? Really? I don't know about that sometimes. Then he says, each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interest of others. He says, appreciate everybody. Find something you can like, not just accept. Consider them better than yourself. Look out for their best interest ahead of your own. And then you tell them so. And I know that with some people, this may require a little creativity, Right? You may have to look a little while to get to it, but maybe, maybe you just need to value their uniqueness, kind of like Baskin's 31 flavors, you know? We're all different. We're all unique. And what if we were all vanilla? Wouldn't this be boring anyway? So we need to do that. We need to appreciate everybody, and then we need to affirm everybody. Give everybody a little lift whenever you can. And First Thessalonians, and get Paul. I love Paul. He's telling us, encourage one another and build each other up. In other words, when people stumble, don't criticize, sympathize. Be an encourager, not a complainer, not a condemner, a critical person or a judger. 
I mean, you can encourage people just by smiling at them. You know, our first impression team, that's what we call our ushers and our greeters, they have a crucial and vital role here. You know, it's not uncommon to, uncommon to have visitors here every single week. You only have one chance to make a first impression, so give a loving handshake and a smile. You know, James is saying that the church that accepts and appreciates and affirms are people that God blesses. And I want to be that kind of church. I want, I want that for my life. Because nothing, absolutely nothing, can get in the way of a church that is loving. In fact, the Bible tells us that, the, that even hell cannot prevail against it. So everybody here, I just want you to have this synced in. And, and, and I want you to think about this for a minute and how this applies to you. And I thought about it for me, how this applies to me as well. Because I believe that God is just waiting for a church that will love unconditionally, truly unconditionally. He can use that kind of a church to, to spark this spiritual awakening in this, in this city and, and to just start this, uh, this climate, this change of the community that will change this community for Christ. Nothing, again, nothing can stop this loving church. You know, it was said of the New Testament church in John that by this, everyone will know that you are my disciple if you love one another. You accept and you affirm and you appreciate people. Jesus breaks down all the barriers and creates this ground level, and, and not for us, but right at the foot of the cross so that we can all approach it no matter who you are. And Galatians tells us that for now we are all children of God through him in Christ Jesus. We are no longer Jew or Greek or slave or freeman or even men or women. It says we're all the same. We're all children of God. There is no distinction in the body of Christ. We are all Christians. We are one in Christ. And again, folks, we live in a time, and we'll probably continue to live in a time, where we desperately need to hear this. Now imagine what a big difference it would make if we all realized our biases, and then we repented, and then we start loving instead by accepting, affirming, and appreciating. Folks, it starts with you, and it starts with me. Will you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, I know in a place like Orange County, this, this is a message that we need to hear. Lord, it's easy to become smug and pretentious and to look down on others who have less. And Lord, I pray that there may be an outstretched hand and a warm hug and a loving smile for every person who worships here. Lord, I also pray that you would forgive us for making judgments about people based on outward appearance. Help us to realize that favoritism and faith do not match. They're incompatible. Help us to realize, Father, that it is unchristian and un unreasonable and unloving. And Lord, I pray that each of us would commit ourselves to accepting people and appreciating them and, and, and just affirming them because you have accepted us. Lord, and if there's somebody here that has not made that step of accepting you into their lives, Lord, I pray that they would realize that you care about them and how much you want them to know you. I pray that today they would say in their hearts, Jesus, come in. Lord, and I, help, I ask that you would help them realize that you accepted them and now that they need to accept you. Lord, and I just pray even more now that as we just go from this place, that we would open up your hearts even more to you. Father, thank you that your word pierces our heart. Lord, help us to be more loving. Lord, help us to make a difference 
starting in our homes, onto our community and the world. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.